Open your Bibles, if you would, to Second Chronicles chapter 20. We will conclude tonight the chronicler's account of the life of godly King Jehoshaphat. We'll begin at verse 20 and continue to verse 37 in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Listen now to God's holy inerrant and life-giving word, beginning at verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were singing who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shili. He walked in the way of Asa his father and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat from first to last are written in the chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built, Tarshish, and they built ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eleazar, the son of Dodavahu of Marasha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. The grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for the life and testimony of Jehoshaphat. Help us to profit, particularly from the example given us tonight, that there were, we would experience this link between praise and salvation. Indeed, that because of our salvation, we would praise you 
with all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how does a true prayer end? Many people will answer, well, silly, a true prayer ends with the word, Amen. And yet the account of our chapter of godly King Hezekiah, when he played it, prayed in complete dependence on the Lord, it shows that actually our prayers do not end at the Amen. But they end in the thanks and praise that we offer to the Lord for the saving answer he is sure to provide. In fact, even then a true prayer offered in faith does not end because God will answer that prayer and then we will praise him again with even more thanksgiving. In that regard, many of the prayers we offer to God now will not have their end until they are answered in heaven. And then we will respond in a joyful praise that will have no end. Well, Second Chronicles 20 presents one of the greatest prayers recorded in Scripture, offered by Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, when this news suddenly came of this host from the east, so close to the city they were in great danger. And he gathered the people of, of Judah, and they prayed at the temple, and he said the great words, O oh, our God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Verse 12. And then as the people stood before the Lord, that God sent an answer through the mouth of a Levite who, so far as we know, had never prophesied before. And he's told, Mo, uh, told Jehoshaphat, stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Verse 17. Well, his name was Jehaziel, and he then gave Jehoshaphat and all Judah an assignment. Verse 17, they were to go out against them the next day trusting that the Lord will be with you. Now the aftermath to those events shows Jehoshaphat and his people acting promptly in faith. The next morning they advanced on the enemy, arrayed not for battle, but very curiously they were arrayed for praise. In this way they saw the salvation of the Lord. They rejoiced in its great bounty. They returned to Jerusalem with even more joyful praise for what the Lord had done for them, fulfilling all that he's promised. Now, in this way, this conclusion to Second Chronicles 20 presents a foretaste of the worship that the saints will offer to God in heaven. We will then be gathered at his true temple in the age of the glory to come, and we will offer praise. In fact, the very kind of praise that Jehoshaphat and his people sang on their way out to battle, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Well, the account of the sudden invasion against Judah continues in verse 20. When Jehoshaphat and the people get up early in order to obey the Lord's instructions. Jehoshaphat had told them to go out against them. And so they rose early in the morning, verse 20, and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Now, here's the obedient zeal that suggests that Jehoshaphat's faith was confident that God's promise of deliverance would come true. Well, then with his people outside the city, Jehoshaphat paused them in order to make a speech. Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. You see, Jehoshaphat represents the line of godly kings stretching back all the way to David. And so he knew that salvation is received through faith in God's word. 
you know, there are always attempts to try to make the Old Testament way of salvation different from the New Testament way. And usually it'll be some version that in the Old Testament they were saved by works. Well, Jehoshaphat argues otherwise. His experience here is that of a man who is totally dependent upon the grace of God received through faith alone. Of course, he would have learned this, for instance, in the great expressions of faith written by his forefather David in, in places like Psalm 34, verses 4 to 5. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. That is salvation through faith in the Lord. Now, in this case, the battle had not yet even been fought. The enemy host was still advancing against Jerusalem. But Jehoshaphat says, no, we can trust the word of the Lord and his promises. And he makes this reliance on God's word explicit when he adds, also verse 20, believe his prophets and you will succeed. Trust in the Lord and believe his prophets. They are the same thing. Now, his immediate point of reference would be this Levite, Jehaziel, who had prophesied the previous day by the Holy Spirit. He says the battle belongs to the Lord, verse 15. And Jehaziel had said that if they went out against the enemy, they would see the salvation of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat says, well, that prophecy having been given, our success depends on our believing the message given to us. Interestingly, he says prophets in the plural. Undoubtedly, he has Jehaziel in mind, but it's all the prophets, it's all the word of God revealed by prophecy, stretching back to Moses. Now, let's check in on our timeline because Jehoshaphat's king around the year 875 B.C. That's pretty early in Old Testament history still. Actually, none of the writing prophets have yet ministered when he says those words. So he probably has in mind his contemporaries like Elijah, like Elisha, and like uh, the many others that we encounter in this book, God is speaking through the word of his prophets. Our salvation comes by believing them. Now, very interestingly, the chronicler, as he records these events in the 5th century, after almost all of the prophets have prophesied and published their books, uh, he wants the pe his people to remember, to believe the word of God. It was more word of God. We have even more than that. We have the apostles. Our salvation comes through faith in God's word. Gordon McConville points out really what his message was, that they should trust in the Lord and you will find him trustworthy. Jehoshaphat tells us it's important for us to learn and to know the Lord can be counted on. The Lord is trustworthy. How do we learn that? By trusting his word. And if you will trust his word, you're going to discover that he is in fact trustworthy. Those who do not trust the Lord never learn it. Well, almost two centuries after Jehoshaphat, the prophet Isaiah would press virtually the exact point on a later king of Judah, a later descendant of Jehoshaphat, ungodly King Ahaz, when a similar situation happened in Isaiah 4. In that case, it was the, the alliance of Israel and, and, and Syria, and they were coming against him. And Isaiah spoke the words that are, are, give the meaning of Jehoshaphat's speech he said to Ahaz, if you do not stand in faith, you will not stand at all. But Ahaz would not trust the Lord, and as a result, he engaged in worldly scheming that did serious damage to his people. 
You see, Jehoshaphat knew that he was in that same kind of situation, that, and he would resolve to find his salvation in God's word. The same situation comes to us as we read the New Testament accounts of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was when Ahaz refused to believe that Isaiah gave him another prophecy, and it was one of the great prophecies, the great prophecy of the virgin birth, Isaiah seven fourteen. The virgin shall be with child, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, here's the question. Are we really to secure our hope of eternal life by believing that this prophecy was fulfilled in the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus? The answer is yes. Our eternal destiny depends on our believing God's prophets by trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for our salvation. Jesus himself reinforced Jehoshaphat's principle. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Salvation is through faith in God's word. But Jehoshaphat further knew that faith in God's word leads to an obedient response to what God has commanded. And so he gathered his people to advance this enemy who just the other day, the day before, he'd admitted to God that they were too much for him to handle. He didn't have the forces to overcome them. But now the very next day, he's, he's taking his people out against them. Moreover, he arranges his army in a way that is designed to express his faith that God's word was certain to come true. Look at verse 21. When he'd taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. Now, I love an army band as much, maybe more than anybody else, but I wouldn't put them on the front lines. I've seen their marksmanship. But that's not Jehoshaphat's point. He means that if salvation relies on faith alone, then Jehoshaphat was going to put everything he had into a display of faith. The Lord's prophet had told them he was to go out against the enemy, but that he would not actually have to fight them. Verse 17. The Lord was going to do the fighting. So what Jehoshaphat did was he arranged his forces so as to be ready to offer praise when they arrived and saw the salvation of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon comments that this is one of the reasons that God brings trials into our lives to revive in us the spirit of devotion and communion with God that we so easily forget. Isn't it true? We so easily forget in daily living. The eyes of Jehoshaphat and his people were on the Lord as the one on whom their very lives depended. So they were ready to praise him when his salvation had come. Now, in fact, as they marched forth, we read that Jehoshaphat had his people led by the Levitical singers wearing their liturgical garb that they broke forth in song. Verse 21, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, it is likely that they are singing the opening lines of the 136th Psalm, Psalm 136. It turns out that this psalm is quoted no less than four times in First and Second Chronicles. Martin Selman calls it the chronicler's favorite psalm. It's further likely that they not only sang the first verse, usually, when the, by the way, when the, when the Bible usually cites a verse from earlier in the Scripture, it means the whole of that passage. It's the, it's the, it gives you a reference, but it's more, it's the whole, in this case, it's the whole psalm that they sang. That's almost likely, almost certainly the truth. 
And it's very interesting what is in Psalm 136 because there's a, a call to praise the Lord for his steadfast love. But it then goes on very relevantly to their situation to extol the Lord for doing great wonders. Verse 4. And then it starts with praising God for some of the details of how he created the world. It goes on to celebrate the miracles by which God delivered his people in the Exodus when the Lord broke the power of Pharaoh. And, and, and the psalm talks about in verse 15 that the power of God that parted the Red Sea. So in that impossible situation, faith in the Lord resulted in the salvation of his people and the destruction of their enemies. Now, one thing going on there, it's a, uh, it's a good reminder to us of the value of knowing the Bible stories of God's past deliverances. We're living in a time where, according to the studies, even evangelical Christians know virtually nothing from the Old Testament. Well, then how are they going to have the, the faith of Jehoshaphat? How are they going to give the praise that he gives? We need to know about the Red Sea. We need to know about David's, little David slaying mighty Goliath. Oh, and we need to know about Jehoshaphat's deliverance in Second Chronicles 20 so that we will join him and say give thanks to the lord here's how the psalm ends give thanks to the god of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever you see our faith is strengthened our praise is lifted up by knowing that what god has done before he can be counted on to do again well jehoshaphat's expression of thanksgiving is notable on this occasion because let's not forget that he's praising the Lord for blessings that he has not yet actually received. And here's one of the highest forms of praise that God's people can ever offer to the Lord. To thank him for the things for which we've prayed before our prayers have been even answered. And you see, that's the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith. We pray to the Lord for things that he tells us we should pray for. We should then praise him and not wait for the praise until the, the answer is given. Charles Spurgeon urges this to be our regular practice. He says, before the deliverance comes, praise him. Praise him for what is coming. Adore him for what he is going to do. No song is so sweet, I think, in the ear of God as the song of a man who blesses him for grace he has not tasted yet. For what he has not got, but what he is sure will be coming. Well, that's the kind of praise offered by Jehoshaphat and his people. Now, armed with such faith, Jehoshaphat was sure that they were going to be delivered, and so they were. Look at verse 22. For while God's people were singing, the host of the Lord was acting. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Now the Lord Jehaziel, speaking for the Lord, had said that God would fight on their behalf, and so he did. Now the details given here state that God caused the different members of this eastern confederation to fight each other. Now we hear today about the fog of battle and how casualties occur by uh, friendly fire. Uh, it's... it's, 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 it's almost surprising to military veterans that there's a bit of a stir as if something unusual is happening it's always been that case uh, there's confusion in war people show up in the wrong places and there's friendly fire and yet what's being described here this frenzied self-destruction cannot be accounted for in any natural scheme it is a supernatural action of God. Look at what verse 23 says. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the men of the inhabitants of Mount Seir 
devoting them to destruction. And when they'd made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy each other. Now, this is a supernatural, the word he uses is ambush. And they fell upon each other, destroying each other down to the last man. That last duel would have been interesting. I guess the winner was deadly wounded. Every one of them died by the time it was over. By the way, isn't it interesting how often in the Bible the enemies of God's people are seen dissipating their strength because they can't trust each other. Because the very sins that lead them into hating God's people cause them to hate each other. And God in this way, by this mechanism, will spare his own people. A great example is the victory of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. Well, I think perhaps the most significant point made in this passage concerns the correlation, we might even say the causation, between the praise of God's people and his actions to save them. Look back at verse 22. It specifies that the Lord's ambush against their enemies occurred when they began to sing and praise. And I can imagine Jehoshaphat thinking about biblical examples that if we praise him, the power of God will come. Like when Joshua and the Israelites circled Jericho, that mighty city, and they, they blew their trumpets as God had commanded them. They shouted to the Lord, and at that moment in response, correlated with, caused by, we might say, in, in, a, in a right way, caused by their prayers, by their praise, God's victory was given. And we're reminded by these examples that the public worship of God's people today, yes, it is a service of praise. We come here on the primary aim of doxology. We come to praise the Lord. But I wonder if we realize that the public worship of the Christian church is a mighty act of spiritual warfare. Throughout church history, especially in times and places, it's going on today when there's severe persecution, the gathering of God's people for worship is a subversive act that in time has led, time and time again, to the overthrow of ungodly regimes. Richard Pratt notes that the singing army of Judah was an earthly reflection of the great army of heaven led by God himself. So that the work of Israel's musicians corresponded to the spiritual heavenly music that accompanied in heaven the appearance of God for battle. Now think of how the book of Revelation depicts the hosts of angels blowing trumpets as they struck on God's behalf, singing as they destroyed the enemies of God. Revelation 8, 9, especially chapter 19. It's notable then that in verse 22, where we read that the Lord set an ambush against them, the Hebrew text more literally says the Lord set ambushers. It suggests the angelic host. And the very thing that we're seeing here, that when the singing host of Jehoshaphat's army came in sync through praise, with the, the, the habitual attitude of the host of heaven, of heaven, oh, when that sync took place, they struck. And they saved God's people. Let me give you a similar example of how God's afflicted people praised the Lord. And as they praised him in their afflictions, the power of God was revealed. Paul and his companion Silas 
had gone to Philippi and they were witnessing there and a mob, it's, it's a whole story, read Acts 16, a great chapter in Acts, and a mob besets them and beats them and the magistrate takes them in unrighteously and has them beaten with rods and part of Paul and Silas, well, these evangelists, they're thrown into prison, they're, they're actually shackled by the feet, beaten and bruised, they're left in this prison cell. What did they do? Well, you'll say, well, surely they prayed and they did. But Acts 16.25 especially notes that in the midst of that dark night, around midnight, we are told, the two evangelists astonished their fellow prisoners by singing hymns to God. Isn't that a beautiful sight? The Apostle Paul and Silas in this foreign land, far from any help, but they trusted the Lord and beaten, chained to the wall. They start singing with joy to the Lord. And the next verse says this, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. We can literally say of Jehoshaphat and his host, as we can of Paul and Silas, that they were delivered through praise. They were saved through faith by praise. In fact, they shook not only the physical surroundings, but they shook the hearts of those who witnessed their faith and praise. Afterwards, you may know the story, the Philippian jailer came and he was so shaken by that he asked Paul the question, how can I be saved? Paul told him and he was, uh, he was, he was born again and believed. Well, my friends, that kind of spirit of joyful praise in the midst of our afflictions will likewise open doors for us to share the gospel. It can be expected to be accompanied by God's power in saving the lost. Could we have a stronger encouragement to attach importance to the public worship of our church? History will attest, I am sure, that the gathered voices of congregational singing will have proved more potent in opposing the forces of darkness than even the well-meant scheming of Christian politicians. I'm not against them doing that. The Lord bless them. But something far greater is the singing of the people in the church. The Protestant Reformation bears testimony to the sheer power of the joined voices of believers rejoicing in the Lord. They were overcoming darkness. It was spiritual warfare. How foolish it must all appear. Utterly foolish in the eyes of those who were sharpening their knives against their people, against God's people, when they begin to publicly praise. But it's just another expression of the Apostle Paul's precept that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, the power, the saving power of our praise. Well, Jehoshaphat's deliverance shows us how salvation results from praise. But the aftermath makes the accompanying point that the Lord's salvation results in praise. The two are joined together. It's from the praise of his people and their faith that God brings deliverance, and that deliverance causes even more praise still. Now the scene has been set by the king ordering his army with the Levitical singers out front, praising the Lord in their their temple array. It continues then by telling us what they saw when they finally arrived on the field of battle. Verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. On November 11, 1918, when the armistice ended the First World War, records show that dazed soldiers from both sides 
wandered out into the killing zone between them and they began the grim task of burying the tens of thousands of bodies, German, French, British, American, accumulated from their battles. But when Jehoshaphat's army arrived on this field, yes, he likewise saw a scene of grizzled carnage, but all the dead belonged to the enemies of the Lord. We can imagine that the sight stilled the voices of Jerusalem's singers, that they stood open-mouthed at the scene before them. Unlike the Puritan regiments in the English Civil War under Oliver Cromwell, who marched into battle singing the Psalms, and then they fought, not so for Jehoshaphat, there wasn't any fighting left to be done when they came forward singing their psalm. And in addition to the enemy bodies, there was a great spoil before them. Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Now, there's another connection to the Exodus. You remember that when God had shattered the power of the Egyptians, he permitted his people to plunder the Egyptians. Suddenly, the Egyptians couldn't wait for them to leave, and they, they piled upon them the treasures of the Nile. Now, these remind us of Paul's teaching that when we pray, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Well, this unexpected bounty at the expense of their enemies prompted Jehoshaphat and his people to break out with even more praise to the Lord. Verse 26, on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. Baraka means blessing. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Now, this praise shows that God's people acknowledge the Lord as the source of their great blessing. And that's what our worship does today. Our songs of praise today are to acknowledge that all of our blessings come from him. They had not forgotten to give praise after the Lord had saved them. And this shows, this speaks highly for their faith and godliness, led by Jehoshaphat. Andrew Stewart comments, they did not become so engrossed with the spoils of victory that they forgot to give thanks to the one who had given them the victory. Isn't it true that one of our main failures in times of plenty is that we forget the giver and all we think about are the gifts? For this reason, believers should cultivate the practice of giving thanks to the God for every blessing we receive. Truly, they all come from him. Well, imagine then the delighted relief of those few who'd remained behind in Jerusalem when the army that just four days earlier had gone out to a scene of battle. Now they returned in in the same spirit. They'd gone out singing, but now they were singing coming back, and now there was a spirit of joy, verse 27. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. How fitting that this triumphal procession concludes back where it all began. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. That's where the army had gathered. That's where the people had come when they were terrified, when they were in fear, and they called upon the Lord. They, they reminded him of who he was, of what he'd done, of what he'd promises. They, they said, our, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, and they waited upon him. And now they were back in a spirit of praise. Now here's a spirit of triumphant joy that should mark the worship of Christians in every single service of worship we offer 
Is it not true that the Lord has done great things for us? The Lord has triumphed through his Son, the Lord Jesus. He has granted more even than our faith could have imagined. He's fulfilled every promise we trust from his word. Well, the final blessing from Jehoshaphat's battle is the peace that resulted amidst the surrounding nations. Verse 30. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Well, small wonder at that once the news of this event got around. And we see here the wisdom of God in providing this trial. So often we ask, why is the Lord disturbing my peace? Why is the Lord causing me to trust him in this painful way? Why do I have trials? Well, you see, by facing the sudden and deadly threat and to face it by gathering the people together to pray, and and putting their eyes onto him in faith, and and then going out to face their perils in a spirit of praise. The Lord provided them with a securer peace than Jehoshaphat had known before. Andrew Stewart writes, The acts of God speak for themselves. They speak even more powerfully when God's people proclaim his greatness with gratitude and admiration. Spurgeon notes from his experience that something like this often happens in the lives of believers who face great trials and they face them through faith. He says, I've known a child of God have a a cyclone of trials. It seemed as if he would be utterly destroyed, but when it was over, there was not a ripple upon the calm of his life. In fact, we can take this pattern to the relationship between our present life in the age to come. Oh, we live in a troubled world of sorrow. How many are our afflictions? But Spurgeon says, only ask the great pilot of the Galilean lake to steer you safely through the tempest. And then when the storm has ceased at his bidding, he will bring you through to the haven of your rest. Well, very interestingly, the account of chapter 20 concludes with a footnote on Jehoshaphat's life. It begins in verse 31. And in verses 31 and 32, we have a a summary of his reign. He was 35 years old when he began. He reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. Interestingly, 2 Kings says he reigned 22 years. That's because it's not counting his three years of co-rule with his father Asa. His mother is given her name. But here's the, the summary of his life. And oh, that these would be said of us. He walked in the way of Asa his father and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, I always love reading these sorts of accounts because we know that he'd sinned. We've seen him chewed out by prophets before for really foolish things, the whole Ahab episode uh, and the marrying his son to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. This was a flawed man. He needed to be saved by grace through faith. But you know, all of that now has been washed away by the blood of his Savior. When you read the New Testament accounts of, of Old Testament believers, very often nothing said about their sins. It's their faith. Hebrews 11 is that way. My favorite is the example of Sarah in Hebrews 11. When in Genesis 18, the three angels, one of them the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate, comes and he says, you will have a son, and and she laughs. And and, in Genesis 18, she's actually rebuked very severely. You laughed. I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. The angel of the Lord said. You get to Hebrews 11 and it says, oh, she trusted the Lord. What happened between the two? What happened was Jesus on the cross had bled for all her sins and they'd all been washed away. 
But what mattered is that he trusted the Lord. He walked in faith. My friends, the only thing that matters when our tombstone is etched is did we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet his work was incomplete. Look at verse 33. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. And this reminds us that the spiritual well-being of any generation does not rely exclusively on the leaders God has provided. My friends, the pulpit is very important to the church, but so is the pew. And it reminds us that it's, it, it, Reformation is difficult. We're not able to legislate spiritual change. We pray, we use the word of God. But it's only God who can make tender the hearts of the people. In this case, we learn we're going to see it in practice. That when Jehoshaphat would remove the idols, they were stashing some away. Uh, the people's hearts had not been torn the way his had. Well, then we find in the final three verses of a final, it's very interesting, Jehoshaphat's account in Second Chronicles 20 ends with, with a reminder of another episode in which he committed the same kind of sin he'd committed before. He had the care, in fact, all the kings did, understandably. He had the, the temptation of solving his problems with political maneuvering. Now you'd think, well, didn't he just learn that lesson? Well, don't we have that experience? All of our lives we're learning to trust the Lord, and it's up and down, and, and, and we have a down note here. He joins with Ahaziah, the king of Israel. Now that's bad, because he's a wicked king. And they, they build ships together, ships to go to Tarshish. Now it's not clear if these were ships actually going to Tarshish, I think more likely ships bound for Tarsus was a way of describing large merchant vessels. And so he, he entered into a commercial alliance yet, yet again with Israel. Now you're thinking, come on, Jehoshaphat. We're not told when this happened, but it happened. Second Kings also mentions it. And, and a prophet is going to rebuke him again. It's a different one this time. Because you join with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you've made. And sure enough, the ship direct. The Lord would not bless even Jehoshaphat's ungodly actions. What's, what's the point of all this? Well, we've seen in this passage that we're saved through faith. In fact, we're saved through faith by praise. And then the salvation of through faith results in praise. But I think we're to be reminded here, you know who is saved through faith by praise? And then who praises God because they were saved? It's sinners. It's sinners saved by grace. If Jehoshaphat, I don't think Jehoshaphat would mind of this ending. He would say, yes, it's true. I am a sinner who was saved by grace. And he would give us that great advice back in verse 20. Here's what I would have you learn. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. This is the classic statement of Chronicles. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. That message is true from the lips of a sinner saved by grace who managed to do some great things for the Lord, but he was not himself the Savior. Only Jesus can open the heart. Only Jesus can be relied upon on every occasion. In fact, it was with passages like this in mind, from the episode of godly, from the life of Jehoshaphat, the, the, the great story of chapter 20. It was the kind of thing Jesus was talking about when he said to the Emmaus Road disciples in Luke 24, that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, this is ultimately telling us to trust in the Lord Jesus. The Jehoshaphat and his lesson finds its true fulfillment when we trust in the one of whom the prophet spoke. 
When we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, Jehoshaphat cried out in prayer because the prophet had, and the prophet said to him that you will see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And it's as we stand at the foot of the cross where God's Son died for our sins, that believers in Jesus, we see the salvation of our Lord. And then it's in response to what God has done to defeat our real enemy, sin, the final judgment, the, the curse of death. These are, these are enemies about which we do not know what to do. But God has saved us from them. It's to thank him for that that we gather each week to offer praise in his name. But let me conclude with this question. What about you if you do not believe? Jehoshaphat's dying counsel would be, believe in the word of the Lord and you'll be established. Trust his prophets and you'll be saved. What if you don't? What about you if you do not admit the truth that you have no solution to the problems of sin, death, and the final judgment? And as a result, you do not look to Jesus and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, I have to say, in such a case, then everything we've read about in the experience of believing Jehoshaphat will not be true for you. Oh, you will have to fight your own battles against forces too great for you to overcome. You will have to bear your own burdens, having no Savior to carry them for you. And when the final judgment arrives, you will have to answer for your own sins having despised that salvation offered to you by the crucified Jesus. And then you will face your own eternal judgment. But is there a way, even now, for these dooms to be escaped? Yes, there is. How can you find it? You, I mentioned earlier how Paul and Silas, they were singing in jail. And the power of the Lord came down. And the Philippian jailer ended up being saved. Wonder how he got saved? He asked the great question that you should ask to Paul and his friend. He said, how, sirs, what must I do in order to be saved? And here's the answer of God's word for you. Paul answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you believe and when you are saved, well then make sure you offer to God the most enthusiastic praise of which you are capable I would recommend coming to the church to sing together with the congregation of the people of God. And you see, as that praise goes up, we can sure that others will hear and they will wonder and they will ask the question too. For if Jehoshaphat's experience says anything to us, when we praise the Lord, not only are we saved, but the world feels the power of God, the earth moves and then by seeking God in prayer, in prayer, they too can see the salvation of our Lord. Father, we thank you for this episode in Jehoshaphat's life. We thank you for the way that you have come to us and you've used the witness of other people. We've seen your power at work in their lives as they praised you, maybe even while they were dying and suffering and had reasons to fear, but they believed your word. They trusted your prophets, and you saved them. Well, Father, we want to give you praise. Help us to praise you as we ought. But, Father, as we do, particularly when we, we praise you when we're suffering, when we praise you for prayers that have not yet been answered, and, and maybe they're prayers that are breaking our heart,
Oh, Father, would you use those prayers to motivate your angels, to send them to to shake the world with your power so that others, through our praise, would hear and be saved. Oh, may it be so, and may it give you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.